The following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. This morning's reading comes from Matthew chapter 1. These are God's words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, and Jeram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh rather the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and, whose brother, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihu, and Abihu the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliot, and Eliot, the father of Eleazar, and, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, to the Christ 14 generations. How y'all doing this morning? Everybody doing good? So, what, what on earth are we going to do with this text, right? <laughs> I mean, I know that's what some of you guys are thinking. I mean, norm, normally, if, if, if you're like I used to be, this, these are the type of texts that you just kind of skip through, right? So if you start, you know, many, many of us are going to start with our Bible reading pretty soon um, for the new year, and it's going to be like Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1 is probably going to start at verse 18 for a lot of y'all. Y'all just going to skip over the first 17 verses and be like, whatever, and just go to verse 18. What, what are we doing here, right? Well, as you heard me pray, I believe that God gives us the whole counsel of his word with a reason and with a purpose. And I think that even in scriptures like this, there's much for us to take. There's much for us to glean. There's much for us to learn. There's much for us to, to grow from. And so I want to I spend some time uh, just chatting with you guys about, about this text and, and, what, and what is, what's the significance? What's the significance of it? So I don't, you know, one of the beauties about being universally 
unified, you know, and, and having a diverse crowd and, and, and being intentionally diverse is we get a chance to sing a lot of neat songs together, right? Songs that maybe, maybe, maybe some of our black friends and brothers and sisters aren't listening to in their car. And then we get a chance to sing songs together that some of our white brothers and sisters aren't listening to in their car. I mean, I'm like, I'm still sad that this is the last Sunday because we normally do three Sundays worth of a song before we move to the, before we rotate it out. And I'm still sad that, that this is like the last Sunday we have to do Everlasting God. I'm, I could sing Everlasting God for like the next three months, more or less the next three Sundays. I love that song. But we're going to rotate that out and put something else in because we're committed to doing things in a universally unified way. But one of the other things about it is that we get a chance to just connect culture, right, and connect backgrounds, and we get a chance to ask each other, so, so did your mom do this when you was a kid? Because this is the way my mom did this way. You know, my grandma did it. And, and how, how does that work, right? And so this is one of those things that I'm going to be leaning on my white brothers and sisters to see, okay, did this happen when you were growing up, all right? Maybe it didn't even happen in the same phrase, but, it, but, but I'm going to ask if it at least happened. So growing up, and, and, and this was during a time when we were more socially connected, neighborly, everybody knew each other, everybody was, you know, coming over each other's houses all the time. You know, they weren't just uh, tweeting and texting and going on Facebook, but they were actually going to each other's houses, right? So growing up, when I used to play um, at my grandmother's house, there would be all kinds of kids that lived on that block, right? They would be on that circle, and we would come, and we would play kickball, or we would play football, or play freeze tag, or some crazy game like that. And, and every once in a while, there'd be a new kid to show up. And he'd come, and he'd come hang out, and I'd say, hey, man, come on, let's go inside the house, get some water, or get some Kool-Aid, you know, the red kind. And, and he'd be like, okay, cool, let's go get some red Kool-Aid. And we would go inside to get some red Kool-Aid, and, and, and grandma, you know, she'd say, hey, hey, um, um, how you doing, baby? And, and there would be two questions, right, two questions that grandma would ask every single time. So, uh, and, and they're nodding, right? Black, fo black folks are like, yup. That's it. That's it. Now, like I said, I need, I need, I need my white brothers and sisters to lean, lean in to tell me if these two questions are the questions that I asked for you. But, but, but the two questions would be, so, so what's your name, baby? What's your name? And, and, and that, that really, that, that question is irrelevant. Grandma really doesn't care what the name, what, what the child's name really is. What she's trying to get in particular is the child's last name. So what's your name, baby? And, and uh, my name is Bobby, you know, um, Bobby, Bobby who? What's your last name? Uh, Bob, Bob, Bobby Johnson. Johnson, 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 Johnson. Baby, who your people is? That's the second question. First question, what's your name? And if, if, if I got too many Johnsons in my circle, right, because we got Joe Johnson here. We, there's a lot of Johnsons in Vicksburg. So if I got too many Johnsons in my circle, then the next question is going to be, who your people? And, it, and it's either going to be who your people or who your people is, one or the other. And, and why is that? The reason that grandma wants to know who your people is is because grandma is trying to figure out what should I expect from this child, right? Right? If, 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 grandma, if grandma says, okay, um, who your people is, and then, and then the child responds, well, you know, Miss, uh, I, I'm, I'm part of the Johnson family that stays, you know, on uh, Drummond Street. Well, what part of Drummond Street? The, you know, the, up, the upper part, the, the part that's closer, closer to Cherry Street. Oh, I know them Johnsons. Hold on now. Hold on. Huh? Me, me and my, you know, I'm going to have to talk to my grandson tell him he can't play with you no more. Or, we, or I'm going to have to keep my eye on him at least because I know them Johnsons. Them Johnsons ain't nothing but trouble. Or they says, well, you know, I'm talking about the Johnsons that stay close to Vicksburg High School. Okay, okay, y'all go ahead and go outside and keep playing, baby. 
Because I know those Johnsons. I know they'll get with you, and they'll get with my boy if he gets out of line. So I'm okay, I'm okay, excuse me, I'm okay playing or you playing with those Johnsons. Now, even when you had a bad set of kids or, or, or kids that grandma thought came from a rough family, grandma still would let you play with them because she'd just have an eye on you. Right? Because she, she would say, hey, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen these folks raise kids. They haven't been successful so far, so I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to keep my eye on you just to make sure that you ain't leading my kid to a lifelong of cri uh, crime, and, crime and chaos and tyranny. Does that make sense? Does that resonate with everybody? Everybody had that happening before? Okay, all right, good, good, okay. I know you. I'm, talk I'm talking about my white brothers and sisters, okay? I know you, I know you probably asked the question. <laughs> I'm talking about everybody else. So, so, so what does that have to do with this? Well, here's, here's, here's what. I think that as we look at the ancestry of Christ, we learn something about Christ. We learn something about Jesus when we look at the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew, listen, the Holy Spirit does not waste words. And so Matthew is not putting this in the text just so we can just, you know, do nothing with it. He's putting it in the text and so, so that we can look at it and so that we can digest it and process it, internalize it, and think about the significance of some of the things that we see. So what are some of those things? Let's look at it. Well, the first, out of the gate, Matthew is to make his case for Jesus as the Messiah through the genealogy, through his Ancestry.com rundown, he is literally making the case for Jesus being the Christ, being the Messiah, being the Savior. You say, well, how so? He does, he does it very quickly. They've, the Jewish people have been waiting on a Messiah for centuries, been looking for him. One to set everything in order, one that all the nations would be blessed through, one to establish an eternal kingdom. Matthew's audience has some Jewish readers most likely. And so there's two particular pillars that the Jewish people at the time of Matthew's writing probably would have hung their waiting upon this Messiah on, and that is the Old Testament patriarchs or the Old Testament fathers and the promises given to those patriarchs or fathers. And so out of the gate, Matthew comes, comes, comes with some, some heated fiery language to set, to set the stage and establish that, the, that this is who, who I've told you this guy is, this is who he is. For one, he talks about Abraham. Abraham is the father of the, the Jewish people. He's considered by most Jewish people to be the father of their nation. He was beloved by God and counted righteous, not as, as a result of his behavior or his conduct, but simply out of his faith, God counted him righteous because he chose to believe God when God gave him a promise. The other person that uh, Matthew speaks of right out of the gate is David, and he's considered by the people of Israel to be their greatest king. And he too was beloved by God and even called a man after God's own heart. Both of these men were beloved by Matthew's audiences, and both of them have direct connections to their messianic expectations that the audience holds to. So Matthew immediately calls on those two to build his case. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then what does he say right after that? The son of David, the son of Abraham. First, the son of Abraham. 
God first made a promise, the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It's something that if you've been with us, we've talked about on several occasions as we've been working through our John series, right, before we took a break on that. But if you haven't been with us, for, for, the, for the folks in the room that haven't been with us, I want us to look real quickly just at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. And this is what it reads when you get there. And that's the first book of the Bible, 12 chapters in, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." That's a covenant promise that God is making with Abraham, saying that go, and when you go, all of the families in the entire world are going to be blessed through your seed. Does that make sense? He ratifies that in Genesis chapter 15, where he, where he actually does this ceremony with Abraham. He tells Abraham to bring some animals, to cut them in half, okay, and, in order to establish an eternal covenant with Abraham. But here's the thing. God passes through the half, okay? And literally the presence of God comes down in this moment and passes through the half that these two halves of these animals that Abraham has slain and sacrificed to ratify and establish this covenant, but Abraham does it. And that's interesting because normally you got to have two people pass through in order to make an eternal covenant, right? Because it's an agreement. And it's saying that you do your part, I do my part, and everything's kosher. Does that make sense? But what what happens in this moment in Genesis chapter 15 is that Abraham doesn't have to pass through because God says, listen, I'm going to honor this promise that I gave you regardless of how committed you are to it. Whether you're faithful or whether you're unfaithful, I'm going to honor this promise because in this promise I'm doing something that exceeds you. What is he doing? Offspring. And in his offspring, the entire world will be be blessed. What What do you think that means? Well, it goes right back to this text. Jesus. But not only does he say that Jesus is the son of Abraham, in other words, he's the fulfillment of Abraham's promise, but he also says that he's the son of David. In other words, he's the fulfillment of the promise given to David. There was a promise given to David, and that was in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It was when Nathan prophesied to David and in his prophecy, Samuel, I mean, uh, David, or Nathan rather, gave David these words. He said, verse 10, moreover, or verse 11, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. In other words, I'm going to disrupt his kingdom when 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 he needs discipline with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. 
and your throne shall be established forever. So listen, he prophesies to David and he says, listen, I'm going to establish your house, your kingdom, and your throne forever. Even in the midst of your disobedient son, I'm going to discipline him, war, captivity, struggle, but I'm not going to destroy the kingdom completely. I'm going to instead seat one at the, seat one at the throne who will reign in this kingdom and rule in this kingdom forever. Who are we talking about? Son of David, son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Out of the gate, Matthew begins to establish this. He begins to set things in order. Now, this covenant is not erasing the covenant that was made with Abraham. It's clarifying the covenant that was made with Abraham. It's building on the covenant that was made with Abraham. So in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, Matthew traces Jesus' ancestry back to Abraham. He's making the connection between Jesus and the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. But then in verses 7 through 11, he's tracing Jesus' ancestry back to David. Matthew is making the connection between Jesus and the fulfillment of the promise made to David. Promises that span literally millennials finding their fulfillment in a baby laying in a manger. Promises not just that one group of people uh, get a chance to, to inherit and take part in, but promises that, that, as we hear in the Abrahamic part of this promise, promises that all nations of the world will be blessed through and by. Matter of fact, remember what the angel says in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the angel comes out into the field and he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, all nations, all races, all tribes, all tongues. So Jesus' genealogy connects him to the promises of Israel. But Jesus' genealogy also connects him to the brokenness of Israel. One of the things that you will notice if you've ever read the New Testament for any period of time, perused it some, you know, for a little bit of time, or even peruse the names that we have listed here in this text, every once in a while, just take some of these names and just do kind of like uh, Jesus bingo, right? Just take a name and then go back and flip and see if you can find that name in the Old Testament. See what that person was like. Half of them were pretty rough, at least. And then there are some that are actually okay, but still had some rough patches, Does that make sense? The genealogy connects Jesus himself to the brokenness of the people. So so just take Abraham. We don't have to go far. Just take Abraham. Start with him. Abraham himself in Genesis chapter 20 goes into a new territory, goes into a new land. And the ruler of that land says, hey, that's a nice woman you got. Who is she? He's talking about his wife. Abraham says, my sister not going to kill me today. <laughs> I mean, he, this, this is the father of the faith, right? This, this is the one that we look to. And, and Paul says that, that, that Abraham was our precedent for how we understand what it means to be justified by faith. And he had times where he would lie. He had times where his faith was even weak. God gives him a promise. Your wife 
You're going to, you, that through your wife, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through your wife. You talking about that one? She's pretty old, God. Don't know if we're going to make it. I got, I got a maiden, though. How about that? Even his wife. Hey, you, yeah, yeah, the maiden. He must be talking about the maiden. He's not talking about me. And so, and so literally, there were times where Abraham showed weakness of faith. There were times that Abraham lied even. We don't have to go that far before we get to another person, David. The Bible says David was a man after God's very own heart. The Bible, even when you read after David has passed, God often references him as he's speaking to the other kings and saying, hey, you're not like David. You weren't like David. They, they, weren't, they didn't go after me like David. They didn't have a heart like David. You want to know what David did? Looked out of his window in his kingdom and saw a woman bathing that was not his. And sent for that woman and brought that woman in and laid with that woman, impregnated that woman, and then found out, wait a second, that's one of my, one of my chief, chief administrators in my army. That's his wife. What are we going to do? Well, I guess we're going to have to kill him then. That way, he, that, that, that way it doesn't come back on me. And sends his, one of his beloved soldiers to the front line to die in order to keep his cover up. It was through this seed that we see the perfect Christ. You don't even have to go. You, 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 like I said, you can play bingo with these names. You can go to, for, for every King Hezekiah, there's a King Ahaz. Does that make sense? King Hezekiah, a good king, a solid king, a faithful king. For every, for every King Uzziah, there's a, there's a King Manasseh. Who, who literally, who literally, King, King Uzziah is, is trying to reestablish God's worship in his nation, and King Manasseh is literally trying to disband it and get us as close to idolatry as we possibly can go. And, and, and literally, kings that run through this lineage sacrifice their children. They, they put their children through pits of fire. Wickedness runs through this lineage. Brokenness runs through this lineage. But it's for this purpose. Jesus' genealogy connects his perfection to our imperfection, connects his righteousness to our unrighteousness, to demonstrate that he came to save the imperfect, that he came to save the unrighteous. Does that make sense? That he came to save and redeem the wicked. And so when you read through this lineage and you see, for example, Rahab, Rahab is, a, is literally a Jericho prostitute. And you read through this lineage and you see Tamar. Tamar literally went and dressed up and presented herself, acted like a prostitute in order so that she might sleep with her father-in-law because her husband had died and her brother and his and his brothers and did uh, he he died and so she said in order to keep this family line going I'm going to disguise myself 
and sleep with my father-in-law, who was unaware. This is the lineage of Christ. And it demonstrates that he came to save the wicked. He came to save the broken. His lineage or his genealogy, his ancestry, his lineage also connects him to Israel's diversity. It connects him to Israel's brokenness. It connects him to Israel's promises, but it also connects him to Israel's diversity. And let me say something about that. Whenever you hear me say Israel, understand that I'm talking about our diversity, our brokenness, our promises. Because when you read the New Testament, what you hear is that the Israel is not one that is circumcised in the flesh, but it's one that's been circumcised in the heart. Meaning that as one that has come to Christ in faith, this lineage, this history becomes your history and your lineage. Does that make sense? Those promises become your promises. That diversity becomes your diversity. That brokenness becomes your, diver- uh, your brokenness. And so when you look at the, the ideal of Jesus' genealogy connecting him to Israel's diversity— Let's think about this for a second. One of the things that humanity has been infatuated with throughout history is the idea of purity, purity of races, purity of ethnicities. Nazi Germany was obsessed with the notion of purity. That's what led to the Holocaust, is their pursuit of being the master in perfect race exterminating the Jewish people and keeping their race free of foreigners' blood in order to preserve their perfection. Many of our white brothers and sisters in this country during the slave period, Reconstruction, Jim Crow South, Civil Rights Movement, were compelled to fight tooth and nail for segregation because of the belief that African Americans were inferior. As a matter of fact, Virginia's Racial Integrity Act of 1924 Uh, which came to be known as the One Drop Act. Has anyone ever heard of that? It's the idea that just just 1% of African-American DNA in your ancestry is enough to consider you colored. And And thus, on the outside of all the rights and privileges of white folk in 1920. Does that make sense? In other words, they pushed hard pushed hard in 1920s in Virginia for mulatto people, those that looked fairly white, but had African-American DNA or Native American DNA somewhere in their genes, they pushed hard to make sure that they went to the colored schools in Virginia. Why? So that they would not mix the master race. Even in our day day and time now, African-Americans, you go to an urban, uh, urban center or urban core up north, New York, and it's happening more and more down here. You go, you go down the street one day downtown, they're gonna, they're, you're going to see some guys dressed up in African garb, shouting and cussing people down as they walk by. And you're going to be like, what's going on with that guy? Well, that guy might more than likely is a Hebrew Israelite. And what he is telling people is that black people are the true race. They're the true Jews. And that not only are they the true Jews, but they are good inherently, and white people are inherently evil, bad, corrupt, and destined for damnation. All races are consistently at times, in 
infatuated with the idea that their race at its purest is good and right and holy. And that's odd when you think about this genealogy. Because if there's anybody, right, if there was anybody in all of humanity's history that would be concerned with having a pure ancestry and a pure lineage and a pure genealogy, it would be the Savior of the world, right? If there was anybody concerned with being purely Jewish, it would be the Savior of the world. But in his genealogy, we read about a woman by the name of Ruth. And what's interesting even about mentioning this woman is that Matthew decides, normally when you mention genealogies, you just mention fathers. But you notice that there's four women that just come out of the blue, five if you include Barry, that come out of the blue and he just mentions them. He mentions Tamar. He mentions Rahab. He mentions Ruth. He mentions Bathsheba, which is Uriah's wife. And he doesn't say Bathsheba, he says the wife of Uriah. In other words, he wants you to know. Normally, you want to cover that kind of history up, right? He wants you to know that in the history of the Christ was an adulterer sleeping with the king. He wants you to know it. So he says the wife of Uriah. But he mentions these four women, one of them being Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She came from, the, came from the nation of the Moabs. And the Moabs in this particular nation was accursed by God. God said, for ten generations, no one shall set foot in, this, in the assembly of God from the tribe of Moab or from the uh, nation of Moab. They were accursed people. And here is this woman who's plucked by the sovereignty of God out of this nation and woven in by the mercies of God into Jesus' genealogy. That she, from this accursed nation, is given the privilege to be, to be seen as an ancestor of Christ. You track it. Foreign woman. Foreigner, as they would say. What about Rahab? I told you she was a prostitute, but I also told you she was a Jericho prostitute, a foreigner. You want to know how foreign? Rahab was, was in Jericho when Joshua deployed the spies, Joshua being the leader of the Israel people right, uh, right after Moses. He deployed spies into Jericho as they prepared to take conquer Jericho. He deployed spies. Rahab was the one that took those spies in. And so not only was she a foreigner, but she was an enemy foreigner. Does that make sense? Who eventually is brought into the fold of the ancestry and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. What does that say about Christ? Let's say about what he came to do. What does that say about what he came to accomplish? Enemies, foreigners, outsiders. This is, what, this is what it says to us in this day and time. I want you to hear me clearly now. Hear me clearly. 
We must not esteem our nationalism above our evangelism. Are you hearing me? We must not esteem our nationalism above our evangelism. There are many people out there who profess a heart for the nations that would close their doors if the nation showed up knocking. Are you tracking with that? Let's go win the nations as long as we can win them out there. We don't want to win any of them here. Let's keep them over there. They're going to disrupt what we got going on here. Are you tracking with that? Now, are we talking about security right now? No, we're not talking about border security. Of course we want border security. Are we talking about dangers, inherent dangers? No, we're not talking about inherent dangers. Of course we want to prevent and, and, and protect ourselves from inherent dangers. But that and nationalism are two different things, and I need you to understand that. There's a difference in between wanting protection, safety, and there's a difference in between worrying about whether or not someone's going to mess up culture. Are you tracking with that? And when you're more concerned about preserving your culture, you cannot be concerned about the nations. Does that make sense? You can't be. If you're saying, no, 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 I don't want anybody on this street that's not like me because because of my culture, then how are we going to then show up in front of God and say, but Lord, I was looking for opportunities to save the lost. Were you? Or were you just looking for opportunities to save your lost? It's a massive difference, folks. But what you see in this genealogy is this, that God himself didn't see it out of the way to weave in the foreigner into his own lineage. God himself didn't see it outside of the, uh, the, the, the realm of appropriate to weave in the outsider inside of his own lineage. Lineage. Yes, USA, USA, I'll be right there with you at the next World Cup, screaming it. But nationalism does not extend beyond our evangelism. We are a people for the nations. And so when the nations show up at your door, don't weep unless you are weeping tears of joy that you have an opportunity to reach them. Does that make sense? Sam Alberry said that Matthew's genealogy includes the outcast, the scandalous, and the foreigner. The family Jesus comes from anticipates the family he has come for. End quote. What else does Jesus' genealogy connect us to? It connects us, this is the last point this morning, it connects us to Israel's God. There's something interesting that happens in this text as he's going through it, 1 through 17, right? He's working through 1 through 17. He's giving you all of these people. You know, Matt, 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 Matt Clark could tell you about a song. There's literally a song called The, the Begats, where the guy sings the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 through 17, right? So he's going through all these begots, 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 this one begot, that one, this one begot, that one. And then he gets down to Joseph and Mary. And this is what he says. Verse 16, Jacob, 
the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So this is what's interesting about that. Everyone else, the father of, 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 Joseph, the husband of. In other words, Joseph is given credit. He's there. He's a part of Jesus' lineage. Does that make sense? But what Matthew is saying in that moment is that Joseph is not really, really, you are not the father, right? (laughs) He is not really the father. He's there. He's present. He's raising him. He is not really the father of Jesus Christ. And so he says, Joseph was there. He was Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. What is he doing? He's been, he's been connecting Jesus to us all this time, connecting him to our brokenness and saying he's came to redeem us from our brokenness, to rescue us from our brokenness, to heal us from our brokenness, connecting us to the diversity all in Israel to say, hey, I came, from, I came for all of you. I came for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, connecting us to the promises of Israel saying, listen, yeah, the promises, the things that you have been longing for, even post-deportation to Babylon, post-exile, yeah, you've been waiting, you've been lingering and looking for this, and I came to fulfill it. And then he gets to, to this point, and he says, but I'm apart from you. I stand apart. I'm not like you. I'm not like you. I didn't come from the same seed that you came from. I didn't come from the same DNA, the same gene pool like you. I am not simply human. I am God. And listen, listen, that is a good thing. Because if he's God, it means that he came with the power to save. If he's God, that means he came with the power to redeem. And so when we see this genealogy unfolding before us, we know that not only did we have a person to come and redeem us of our brokenness, and not only did we have a person to come and to unite our diversity, and not only did we have a person to come and fulfill the promises of God, but we literally had God show up and do all of those things. And that is a reason for our rejoicing, even when we're reading mundane things like genealogy. It's a reason for us to rejoice. Amen? Amen. God came down. God came down. And laid in the manger, created by the men that he made, was held in the arms of a woman he formed. was nursed from a woman he made, was reared and raised from parents that he shaped and molded. God came down, and that is what we celebrate during this season. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise, and we give you all the glory and honor. 
Father, if there is someone in this room who has yet to make you Lord and yet to make you Savior, Father, I pray that in this moment they understand that there is no time like the present, Lord. Father, you say that everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You declare, Lord God, that, that if, we, if we trust in you, Lord God, that if we repent of our sin, turn from our own way, turn from our trusting ourselves, and if we trust you and trust your ways, that, Father, you have assured us that you, that you will save and that you will save to the uttermost, Lord God, and that there is no race, there is no tribe, there is no tongue that has been exempt from your plan of salvation. We are all here gathered today, Lord God, rejoicing in the fact that you came in the form of your son, that your son came, rather, and that he saved. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would continue to stir our hearts during this Advent season, that we might continue to long for your anticipation as we eager, I mean, your, your, your coming, your second coming, as we eagerly participate in the first. We love you, we thank you, and give you all praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.